You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. The Longing Candle, having been given a point of light on which to fix our aching hearts to the song of Mary, which we are about to read, the child of salvation and sacrifice is on his way. We who have waited thousands of years for a promise God could fulfill in a moment are reminded again that our holy longing is an act of faith that adorns the dark. Our prayers of come Lord Jesus are a flickering hope for all while we wait for he who was and is and is to come again. For you we wait, O oh, oh Lord. Good morning. Our focal passage is from Luke 1, 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that those gathered here today would be ever aware of God's abiding presence that gives us courage this Advent to be humble servants of his love. You can now have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. Yikes. Good morning. Uh, that wasn't rhetorical or whatever. Um, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Just a little quick setup of what's going on this month. If you've never been around uh, us during this time, we do uh, we, we celebrate Advent and we kind of take, we don't do traditional themes of Advent usually, but <clears throat> we're preaching through a series called Prayers of Promise where we'll look at some prayers that that show us the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus and that will be fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, one kind of cool thing this year is I'm preaching this sermon today to you all, and then I will preach this same sermon at another church, uh, Sacred Mission Church in Mason. Uh, and then I will preach an, the same sermon again at Freedom House here in Hamilton. And then those guys, uh, those are fellow Acts 29 churches in the area. Those guys will preach uh, a sermon that they're preaching today. Uh, they'll preach that in each of our churches. And so you won't see me for a long time. I'm just kidding. Uh, so for the next two weeks, I'll be preaching somewhere else and someone else will be preaching here and we'll kind of introduce those people to you and help, you know, get, get them to know you and vice versa. Just be kind to them, uh, treat them hospitably and all those things. And um, we're really excited. The beauty of that is, man, I only have to prepare one 
one sermon for the next three weeks, and I just have to preach it three times. And so it'd get better and better, and you guys are just the trial run or whatever. So <clears throat> that's that. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace, and just this season, and, <clears throat> and we know it's so... <clears throat> We know that a lot of stuff that happens during this time is not about you, but even in those things, would you just let us reflect on your beauty and reflect your beauty as, as lights begin to, to twinkle, not only here in this basement, but around the city and in, and in neighborhoods and, and down streets and on homes and inside homes, and would you just let us uh, be enveloped in the love that you have for us? Be warmed by the fact that your light has shone. And today, would you let us behold the promise that showed up in a young girl's womb? Would you let us delight in the song of a great Savior being born? Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife, Kim, and I, we have two kids. And... Uh, they are 14 and 13 at, at this time. By the time we read a pregnancy test that finally told us that we were parents for the first time, we were relieved, you know? We were elated. We were skeptical. We were nervous. We were thankful. We were pumped. All the things. Uh, we had been married for five years. We'd been you know, together for 11 years. And, and honestly, we'd been dreaming of being parents together since we were barely teenagers. Our second child came with different emotions, namely surprise. Ireland, we love you. I don't know where you are in this room, but we do. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, because our first baby was only three months old. And so we... It was the, the first kind of big thing in Kim and I's life that we're like, that, like, that wasn't written down anywhere, you know? Uh, that wasn't in our, in our, our plans at, at that time. So emotions swept, and we were confused, and we were nervous, and we were uneasy, and we were thankful, and we were whelmed, and, and kind of shocked, and kind of just silent as we kind of looked at the little stick, and we were just like, I, I think we, we just didn't say anything for several minutes, and just kind of like, oh, okay, like from the moment a baby is conceived emotions are high, and I know that that brings lots of emotions in lots of ways, and some of it, some of it hurtful, and some of it exciting, but, but there is excitement and anticipation that fills rooms and hearts, and there are ideals and hopes and, and questions, and what will he be like, and what will she do, and, and what will he look like, or, or what will she laugh like, and, and how will, how will uh, this change Things. How will our family change? What imprint will he make on this world? What will it cost me? What will she cost us? What, what hurt and pain lies ahead and, and what joy and promise is yet unknown? And depending on the circumstances, there are hard swings of emotion. There is this low to high, and we know in many of these instances there is joy to sorrow. But today... We read and we celebrate and we learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's, she's at this time eager to marry Joseph. She's engaged, but she's not kind of felt well for weeks. And she's been thinking that it could be 
but how could it be? She was visited by an angel, and he told her some stuff, and it felt real, and, and she understood that to be the Lord, but, but how could she know that the promise was true? And the promise was essentially this, don't fear because she's looking at an angel. Don't fear. That's what we always see when they interact with angels, angels in the Bible. Like, uh, don't be alarmed. Don't fear. You found favor with God. You'll have a child and name him Jesus, and he'll be great, and, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. God will give him a throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob. That's like representatively all of God's people forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. Those promises, they point back to previous prophecies that, that had been made about this Savior that would come and save the world. These promises that had been made about God's work to save his people through a king. The pregnancy is a surprise, but, but how can this be? She said, the Spirit will conceive in you and you will give birth to the Holy Son of God. Also, your elderly cousin, Elizabeth, she's pregnant as well. Nothing is impossible with God. And she says, and she responds, essentially says, I am your servant. God, let it be. Which is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool response. Um, so, so who would believe her story? Who would believe that? She's a young woman in a culture where women are dismissed and devalued and marginalized and, and worse. But if it's true, if this is true, 15-ish-year-old Mary is pregnant with the long-awaited Savior of the world. The one, the only one, the one and the only. What were her emotions? Anxious, nervous, excited. Questions probably began to spin Promises soar. There's lots of unease. How am I going to explain this to Joseph? Like, how am I going to explain this to anybody? This sounds, right? So she's got a lot going on, but, but hope sings and her soul rejoices. In the womb of promise, the song of a great Savior is born. So as we look at the essence of Mary's song, we first consider the song of our own heart. And so just by way of reflection, man, what makes your heart sing? Like what makes your heart sing? There's a saying that you can't be in a bad mood and also sing. And there are probably some songs that you could sing with vengeance in mind and with some other emotions. But like the idea is like if you're singing and if you're moving your lips, like it's really difficult to just like joy to the, you know, like. Sing joy to the world and, and do it with a frown. Like, that's tough, you know? And so what is it that's like metaphorically like the song of your heart? What gift or what promise that shines, you know, shines the light of hope paving your way through the darkness of this life? What is it that's in you? What, like, what chorus is on, re, you know, repeat inside of you? What leads your heart to leap in prayers of thanks like we see from Mary? If your life or your heart or your attitude or just day-to-day -day reflection, the expression, the vibe you put off, if it were a song, what would be the chorus? Mary's song is a, a simple prayer that anchors all of those things and everything else to the promise fulfilled into a promise yet to come as sure as the sun will rise. 
So we ask the question, what's the big deal with this great Savior? And the first thing that we see is, is this. He has done great things. Let's read uh, Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat, right? That's what this kind of is called historically. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of this servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Like for those outside of the Catholic faith, Protestants as it were, that's, that's us and, and many others, we have this habit of kind of downplaying Mary, which is fair. She, she isn't magnificent in her own right, and that's, that's actually the point. That's, that's specifically the point, that she isn't magnificent in her own right. But here, young Mary, she's mindful of the impact of this baby on her position, on her future, on her status, on her lot in life. Like babies change things no matter what. But this baby will change everything for everyone forever. She seems to be aware of that. He has done great things. Well, what has he done? And she goes on and, and she tells us what he's done. He has looked upon my humble estate. And you say, what does that mean? Like God has seen Mary. He has seen her for who she is. This alone is enough to cause any mere human to buckle. Imagine your favorite you know, like famous person, whoever that is. Or even just like, you know, your, your love or like your, your crush that you're like too nervous to interact with or, or, or like, you know, seeing famous. I wish I had a famous person story. I have to meet someone famous. It would make this so much better. But uh, imagine interacting with him in an elevator. Like, what are you, like elevators are weird no matter what. And it's just a stranger like in, in the room down the, but, but imagine you're in there with someone significant. Like, you just, you're going to say something dumb. Like, mark it down. Like, uh, or imagine they knocked at your door, the person that you've been, or, or, or they called you out at a concert. Hey, I just want to give uh, acknowledgement to you. You're like, oh, whatever. They come in your house. What are you doing? You're throwing dirty clothes in the dryer. Like, you're, it don't even matter. You're losing. You're like, oh, uh, give me just a minute, right? And by the way, I, I cleaned, if you weren't here last week, I cleaned that spoon. It took like eight seconds. It's clean. It's Real, that's true. But anyway, um, so imagine that. And then we have God, creator of the universe, showing up. God has seen Mary for who she is. And he's seen each of us for who we are. And, and that can terrify. And that can humiliate. And that can cause us to do what our oldest ancestors did. We can hide. They hid behind leaves and, and shrubs. We can blame others for what we've done or, or for who we are. We can blame our past for where we fail in the present. Or we can come clean and we, could, we can stand exposed, completely incomplete in who we are. 
And, and as we come clean, trusting him to be ours and us to be his, it's like uh, Instagram versus like be real or the things behind those things. And, and for those of you who don't know, Instagram is an app. You take photos and, and they're pretty decent normally photos and like you get the right everything and maybe apply a filter and, and some editing involved. But be real is another app and you just, here's how it works. Gosh. Um, at some point during the day, it'll just be like, hey, you got two minutes. Take your picture. And you're like, oh, shoot. What do I do? I don't want to post a late. And I'll get to that in a second. But anyway, so you just, you just take the photo. Like, if it went off right now, I'm sorry. I would just have to do that. <laughs> you don't know when it's going to happen. It just tells you some point during your day, hey, you have two minutes. And you're like, oh, okay. So, but here's the thing. You don't have to post then. You, you take a photo, and it takes one out of this camera, and one out of this camera, so they know, like, you're here or you're not. There's no, like, uploading a photo you took earlier. It's just right now, this is me and this is you. And so you get to see everybody watching Netflix all the time. <laughs> Which is fine, because now there are Christmas trees. It's fine, in the same room. It's whatever. But the idea is, in, in the, the reality is, you have two minutes, or if you post, then you're late. And some people work and have school and other stuff. That's totally fine. But some people are like, no, I'm going to that cool thing later. So I'll just wait, and I'll post that, and it will be pretty good, right? You get the difference. One is, is, is meant to project the best, and one is just like what you're doing right now. Like most of people my age just show us picking up kids in the school line, and it's very, you're like in the meat section of the grocery store. But that's life. And what this shows us is that God sees us like for real. And, and just so that we're clear, like, God always looks, he, there, there's, he, he, like, looks beyond the filter all the time. And so you're never able to present yourself in a way where God doesn't see you for who you are in the moment. God is otherly, and he's majestic, and he's not like us, and he's perfect, and he's righteous, and he's the definition of good. He establishes the nature of good. He's just, and we are none of those things, and yet it is by the life earned through the life of that baby inside Mary yet to be born, kicking in young Mary's belly that, that we can sing the psalm of David without fear, but as beloved in Psalm 139. 23 he says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Like That's what we get to do. We get to approach God and we get to say, search me, test me, and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Would you show me where I'm wicked? Would you point those things out to me? See, we're not hiding those things from the Lord, but we're just going to say, here I am. God, expose those parts to me so that, I, so that I see what you see when you look at me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus is the way everlasting. He has looked upon us in our humble estate. And yet, she goes on, why is he great? Why has he done great things? Now all generations will call me blessed. The Lord has looked upon her, and yet her name is blessed for all generations. You don't believe me? We're talking about her today. She, was, she seemed to be mindful of the impact that this was going to have on her life. Not because Mary's great, but because her God, her son, her Savior is magnificent and he changes everything. 
So for those who are in the church, we, we can complicate the core of our being and our hope. For those serving day and week out and those, those that show up early on Sunday mornings to, to carry stuff out and those that stay late on Sunday mornings and you get midweek group texts and there's scheduling stuff and you're bearing burden in costly ways and you're giving, financially contributing, stewarding lots of ways. You're being let down by others and by those who serve next to you and by, by leaders and neighbors and in all of those instances and in every other instance, we are blessed throughout generations because Jesus is near. That's what Mary's reminding us of. This is the essence of the promise that God would be near to his people as light in the dark. And this doesn't mean that, that we long for our own greatness or even greatness of, of this church or of that church. We've lived and we've read and we've heard stories of damage done when the church sets its own greatness as the target. In those instances, they never work out well. Not for God's glory and not for God's people. Pride will find a way in, and, and that pride and thirst for self-glory, it will destroy, and it will cause pain and harm, and it will undermine the mission, and it will defame God's glory. But look, when I, on the third song, when we gather together, usually I hang out right back there, and some of you think I'm just like being creepy, and maybe I am. But, but I, I just, I stand back there to be reminded of, of what it is that, that we get to do together. And what it is, and, and who, that I'm getting ready to stand up and, and look in the face as we sit under the word together. Man, it, it makes my heart leap. And, and for those of us who have been a part of this church for, for 13 or, or 14 years, and, and we, we saw us when we were 10 people, and, and we look around a room like this today, and it's just like our, our hearts leave. There's that idea, and I don't ever think of it this way, but like, oh, that's, you know, like a small business owner, that's, that's my baby, you know? And, and so, like, we share the weight and the burden of, of one another and being the church together, like, this is, this is my baby, but, but I, I hope that because we are stewarding the best that we can and, and we do that with humility and understanding. And, and, and the only reason we want that is so Christ's greatness might be put on display. That's why we're doing whatever it is that we're doing. And, and when that stops in, in the village church or, or this church or whatever, then, then I'm fine to close the doors. None of this is about the village Church, and that's the beauty of the greatness of Christ through us together, that it isn't about us. His greatness is not about you. It's about his greatness. In the book, Lead, Paul Tripp writes, and uh, the village staff elders and a few other pastors in the city, we get together once a month, we say it's not a book, book club, but we're the guys that meet in that room at True West, and we open the book, and we talk about the book that we just read, but it's not, absolutely not a book club, right? And so we get together, and in this last chapter, uh, we did just last week, Paul Tripp writes of this. He tells of the fact that he had started a school, and he wrote the bylaws, and he, he was the founder and all the things, right? Don't read that yet. You can keep it up there, though. Uh, and, and he did all the things. And he said, man, I knew that I wouldn't lead forever, but the leader wasn't there. And so I go into a meeting, and, and he said, I was, I, was, I was voted out. 
I was out. I was the founder. I was all the things. And now I was on the outside looking in. And, and he's just processing what's going on in his heart. And this is what he says. He says, all that the school was, was a result of God's presence. There was a central leader present and active at every point who had led the school to this point. Man, and just write that down. And that leader wasn't me. What, what a great posture of heart to be reminded that God is the one who does great things. And man, there are days that he will use you. And, and man, I, I pray for, for y'all that, that you do great and big and influential things that start movements and all the things. But, but whether you do or whether you don't, man, there is a leader who's doing stuff and he's present and he's faithful and he's steering all of the things, and that leader, that, that leader's not you, and it's not me. And, and all that in, in Mary's womb and, and in Mary's home, and, and that's, that's all of our gifts, and, and all that we get to do is just to make room for God to move. He has done great things. The second is, is this. He has shown generations of mercy. This is what she's singing. She's praying this. He has shown generations of mercy in, in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Like the promises that Jesus is coming into and the prophecy that he's coming into, just, just one of them, Isaiah 9, 6, famously, written 700 plus years prior to Jesus. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's, what, that's what's riding on the fulfillment of little baby Jesus inside of Mary. There, there's a lot of hope. And I'm guessing there's a lot of pressure. He'll be a mighty king, not one to take the throne only to be replaced or overtaken. And if that's the case, he must be tough. Only the toughest of kings maintain rule for their lifetime, let alone a generation, let alone generations, let alone forever. And yet, that's the promise. And yet, the, the description doesn't tell of a ruler who reigns without compassion, without heart, without caring, without consideration of, of the people and their needs. He is strong, the strongest. He is mighty, the mightiest. But he is full of mercy from generation to generation. And in Mary's womb, we see the convergence of all history past and all history future. In the womb of promise, the song of a great Savior is born. I don't like to reuse illustrations. But this one, I, I'm not ashamed to do this. Okay? There's this movie, it's called A, a Knight's Tale. In, in one of the most emotional scenes in cinematic history, it happens at the end of the movie. And just to catch you up, there's this guy, he's a servant of some royal guy who's, he jousts. So it's a jousting movie. It's a love story. It's a lot of other things. And this guy, he looks like Heath Ledger, and his name is William. His, his guy that he's serving dies 
but he puts on his armor and then he goes and he plays pretend and he acts like he's a royal because you have to be of noble birth to be able to participate. And so he's just pretending to be of noble birth. And, and he has a scene where he, he goes against Prince Edward and everyone else knows it's Prince Edward and so they just say, they just concede and they just let Prince Edward win the tournament. But nobody asks why Prince Edward is, is there. He wants to do battle, right? And so that's just one little scene and then there's like a, a villain and there's, there's love involved and the villain rats him out and at the end, towards the end of the movie, he's in like the shackles and his head is in the thing and, his, and he's gonna get his head cut off and it's over and this guy stands up and he takes off his hood and he stands up and it's, and it's, it's Prince Edward. It's royalty, legit royalty. And he says, remove him. And he doesn't say, bow to me, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein. He says, take a knee. And he does and like no one knows what's happening. And he says... He may appear to be of humble origins, but my historians have discovered that he is descendant from an ancient royal line. This is my word, and as such is beyond contestation. He knights him, and he was pretend Sir Ulrich van Lichtenstein, and he was servant William, and now he is Sir William. And it is an emotional scene because it flips the script, man. But this idea of he looks humble, but he comes from an ancient royal line. He is the son of the Most High. This, this little baby born in, in lowly estates. We are no royal line in the flesh. None of us are. And we deserve nothing, but our God is filled with and fueled by great mercy. And he showers all who fear him with that mercy. It is the royal line of mercy which leaps in Mary's belly, which causes her to sing. And by faith, it is the blood which, which fills our veins, inviting us into the kingdom of mercy. Not because we're great. Because he's great. Not because we're, we're, we're royally merciful by nature. Because he is royally merciful by nature. And because he is God and ruler and savior of mercy, we get to live lives filled with mercy. There's this, this book called Jesus Through the Eyes of Women by Rebecca McLaughlin. And she says this of, of Mary and Jesus. <clears throat> she says, from the moment of Jesus's conception, Mary's life was paradoxical. It's kind of like uh, twisted up a little bit. Um, she had become the mother of the one through whom all things were made. That doesn't make any sense. How is that possible? And if we put our trust in Jesus now, and look, to be clear, that's the invitation for us to put our trust in Jesus now. If we put our trust in Jesus now, our lives become a paradox as well. We are the body here on earth of him who made our bodies and our earth. We are his hands and feet and arms and mouth. 
In short, because he has shown generations of mercy, we get to show mercy through our minutes, through our moments, through our days, weeks, months, years, decades, lifetime, lineage, throughout all generations. That's what we get to do. The church received mercy and we are sent to live and give mercy. We are part of a royal line by the blood of a savior king. And there's no reason that our lips shouldn't be seasoned with the salt of mercy. And the last thing that we see from Mary's song is he has flipped justice. I'm a soccer fan. The World Cup's going on. Again, I know you don't care. That's fine. Uh, there's this team, Argentina, Lionel Messi. You've heard of him. Maybe not. He's a little guy. He's fine. Um, left-footed. He's pretty good. And uh, he plays for Argentina, and he's not won the big thing, but he's won everything else, and Argentina's a perennial favorite. They're one of the top three, probably, that people would think to win. They're playing Saudi Arabia, one of the worst, bottom of the barrel, 51st rank in the world. It's like, it's a slam dunk. The game is over, like, before it even began. Argentina hasn't lost in three-plus years. 36 games in a row, the record's 37. All they got to do is beat not lose to Saudi Arabia. And yet, 10 minutes in, penalty kick, Lionel Messi scores, Argentina's up. It's really over now because in soccer, like I know, how can games end in 0-0 ties? I get it, right? It's a draw, by the way. But anyway, so, so I get it. I get all those things, but here's the thing. Saudi Arabia came back and they scored a goal like, like late in the game, and, and you know what? Then they scored another goal, and everyone lost their mind. And for that moment, you're just watching and you're like, gosh, this is more than a soccer match. It's more than all those things, but there's just so much going on, right? And I'm not commentating on these countries, although there's also always politics and stuff involved because it is the world stage. But, but who doesn't love an underdog when, when, when some win or some lose for so long, it's easy to want change? Like, who's not a Detroit Lions fan? They're so terrible. They've been terrible for so long that you're always like, come on, please, so, so this Saudi win isn't, it's not necessarily a matter of justice, but it's, but it's a flipping of the status. And it brings out the emotions of us, if even for a moment, that feeling though, it, it paints a picture of these inner longings that, that the prideful are humbled and that the lowly are exalted. The absolute beauty in Mary's song is her confession of God's work to flip Status. Let's read starting in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. And Mary remained with her about three months. She's staying with Elizabeth and she returned to her home. And this sets up the ministry of Jesus. It sets, it sets up the ministry of, of the church, of God's people. I know what that sound was, right? 
I think that was somebody's be real. I think that's what that was. Jesus ends up doing this. He flips the script on, on every level of social dynamic. He levels dignity and he steams the marginalized. He validates women. He shares meals with, with the poor. He breaks down walls of hostility between the religious and the irreligious. And people accuse him of being a drunkard because he's always hanging out with people that don't look like they hang out in basements on Sunday mornings. He elevates the powerless. And Luke's gospel, it, 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 just, it magnifies this aspect of the kingdom, the great reversal, over and over and over again. And in, in the scope of Jesus' life on earth, he flipped justice in a way that no one else ever could. He took justice into his own hands by taking the sin of the world and receiving its due reward, wrath from the Father And he offers us life and righteousness by his work given to us, credited to our accountant. And here's the thing about prayers like this that come from the heart of Mary. And, and here's the thing about music and song like Mary's. Both must keep a beat. The beauty of, of one-hit wonders are that they are hits. They're awesome for a minute. But a minute later, they're just annoying and they haven't done much for anyone. And we can fight about that later, that's fine. But the beauty of, of music that's timeless and of great bands who, who release record after record of hits and, and they, they transcend decades, which is really tough to do. They don't just show up once on an old dusty record or a, a mixtape from 88 or, or a a streaming playlist, they change the moments of life. And they, 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 they remind us of things consistently. And the hook of this passage is that it sets the beat for the song of life, of Mary's life, of all life backwards, and, and all life from womb to tomb, from the life he lived to the new life he displayed, busting out of the tomb, and from the child reign of the long line of kings to the current and forever reign of Jesus as Lord of all creation who sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, pleading on our behalf, even right now in this very moment. Zephaniah, the prophet of old, he says this sweet line, and he's talking about the coming king, and he says this in Zephaniah 3, 17. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And this was true in, in some way in the context of Zephaniah. And it's definitely true for, for, for Mary. And it's definitely true for us today. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Check this out. Check this out what he does. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Is that the way that you think about the Lord? He's in your midst. He's not far off. He's near. And he, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. Imagine young Mary prayerful, joyful, singing to the Lord for the great Savior that's inside of her. Imagine her singing lullabies to baby Jesus after he's born. 
as she settles into the fulfillment of, of the first advent, which sets up advent coming and waiting yet to come. Savior of the world, a baby swaddled in the quiet of night. His mother Mary sings over him. Imagine God himself holding you present with us. Here to save, rejoicing with gladness over you. Quieting you with his love, delighting over you with song. That's this magnificent God, the Savior of the world. So we get to, to sing Mary's song as the chorus of life. He has done great things. He's shown generations of mercy. He's flipped justice. And if we can, not only during Advent, where the lights you know, twinkle and shimmer, but, but through every breath, every word, every action, we get to remember and, and reflect this in song. So how do we do this? Real quick, just practical stuff. You can go ahead and hit that next slide. Humbly, we point to God's great name in everything that we do. Man, Mary could have said, what now, Elizabeth? What now, world? Ain't nobody holding me down. I got the Savior of the world inside of me. She could have done that, but she didn't. She didn't look at her own greatness, but she humbly pointed to God's great name. I am your servant. Let it be, Lord. Humbly point to God's great name in everything that we do. And, and secondly, we get to live patient, compassionate, merciful lives. That, that means that, that we get to invite the outside in. That means that we, get to, that we get to lift the downcast up. That means that, that we get to be near the undeserving. And we get to do all of those things intentionally, rhythmically, as a pattern of life. And we get to do those things unexpectedly. When we interact with someone, we see someone, we feel inflamed in our heart, filled with compassion, drawn to mercy, to reach out a hand to help. And we get to be a voice of truth and justice to the voiceless, to the weak, and to the vulnerable. That looks different for every single one of us, no doubt, but the call is no different. The man can come on up. We have no better teacher, no better example, no better redeemer, no better restorer. We know that we aren't people who do any of those things naturally. We rob God of his greatness. We demand mercy for self and judgment for others. Our life songs are dismissive of those who don't advance our own causes, but Jesus, he's just the opposite. He is just the opposite, and by faith, through grace, our lives are knit to his life. Our hearts are melted and conformed to his image. Our lives shaped and contoured to live this life by his greatness, by his mercy, and by his grace. In the womb of promise, the song of a great Savior is born. That's pretty sweet. 
So we get to respond to, to anything that God might be stirring in us through his word. And we get, you can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing and join the band. Join the chorus of the band. You can pray over there at that prayer bench. You can pray by that red tree. Someone would love to pray with you over there. And for those who are in Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, we, we offer the, the bread and the wine, the, the, the cracker and the cup, which represents for us the body that was broken by, uh, by our sin, the body of Jesus that was broken and, and his blood that was spilled so that we might share a meal with the Lord himself. If this, uh, if, if you are not, if you've not come to a place where we've trusted Jesus, that's not for you, right? God's pretty serious about the way that we approach this time, and he says do it honorably, right? And so if you're, if you're not in Christ by faith or you're unsure, talk to me, talk to us. We would love to chat with you. This is not for you, but, but we are for you. We would love to pray with you. God would, uh, guys, would you pray with me? God, thanks so much for your goodness and your grace, and your greatness, your mercy. Thank you that you flipped justice. Thank you that we have seen the promises fulfilled. And God, we wait longingly for these promises yet to be fulfilled in you. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.